Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 219 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get right into the episode right after a word from our sponsors. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com slash RTP. I've seen quite a few videos on social media recently of young women soliciting help in finding the perfect dress for graduation. Might I suggest you add Macy's to your list? They have lots of options for dresses that will transition perfectly from under your gown to that incredible dinner with family after the ceremony. Check out options from brands like On 34th, Michael Kors, DKNY, and many more. Shop at Macy's.com or in-store. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T dot com to start living yours. Let's get into it. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. 
But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Before summer ends and you head back into whatever your fall schedule will look like this year, we want you to join us for one more fun just for you experience. We thought it would be nice for us to choose a book for us to read as a community and then come together to discuss And what's better for a summer read than a romance novel? The book we've chosen for our last days of summer book club is Seven Days in June. So if you haven't already, grab your copy and then sign up to join us for a virtual book chat later this month at therapyforblackgirls.com slash book club. And to kick off the experience, I'm very excited that the author of Seven Days in June, Tia Williams, is with us today, as well as Barry Sykes, a hardcore fan of romance novels to chat all about the genre of romance and particularly black women in this space as both authors and characters. Tia had a 15 year career as a beauty editor for magazines, including Elle, Glamour, Lucky, Teen People and Essence. In 2004, she pioneered the beauty blog industry with her award winning site, Shake Your Beauty. She wrote the best-selling debut novel, The Accidental Diva, and also penned two young adult novels, It Chicks and Sixteen Candles. Her novel, the award-winning The Perfect Fine, is being adapted for film by Gabrielle Union for Netflix. Tia is currently an editorial director at Estee Lauder Companies. Barry Sykes is the creator of Podcasts in Color, the largest directory of people of color podcasts. She is passionate about helping people find podcasts by people of color creators. Born and raised in Denver, Colorado, also where she currently resides, podcasts are her link to the outside world. Marketing podcasts is a passion and she is always looking for creative ways to make it happen. If there's something that resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TBG in session. This is a spoiler-free chat, so you can enjoy it even before you've read Seven Days in June. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you hanging out and talking about romance novels with me this afternoon. I'm so excited. It's my favorite thing to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Likewise. So Tia, I would love for you to just kind of get us started by talking about what actually makes a romance novel a romance novel. Like how is that genre classified? Well, there are some actual hard and fast rules that you have to follow for it to be considered a romance. Like a romance isn't just fiction with a love story in it. Hmm. The love story has to be prominent. So it can't be like a thriller where they're solving a murder or something, and then they accidentally way in the background fall in love, but that's not the point at all. So the love has to be forefront, and there has to be a happy ending. If there really? isn't, a, yeah, if there is no happy ending, it's not a romance. And who sets these rules? Where do these rules come from? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's the Romance Writer Association. Mm-hmm. There are long-held, hard and fast rules. Okay. That's yeah. Really and and the fandoms get into battles over it, honey. Yeah. <laughs> like it, yeah. No, 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 this doesn't classify, you know? So like if we're speaking in technical terms, that's what that is. But like, 
I grew up on movies like Romancing the Stone and things like that. Mm -hmm. They're like on adventures in Cartagena, Colombia, like solving insane mysteries, but falling in love. Like that's a romance to me, but yeah. But that might not technically classify. No. Yeah. Interesting. So Barry, I saw you shaking your head when she said the fandoms kind of get into it. So what have been some of your favorites and how did you like get into this genre? I would say like, I've always been a reader. I don't know how to explain that to people, but I've always been a deep reader. And one of the children where I meet other women, they're like, yeah, I was picking up books at people's houses and just reading them. And I'm like, yeah, that was me picking up Mm -hmm. books at people's houses. And I came up on a romance book at someone's house. I have no idea. And it kind of was like, oh, okay, I like this kind of story. So I found out those were the kind of books in a grocery store, like those Harlequin type of books. So somehow I happened upon buying one of those. And I sent that little slip in that like it sends you books and they sent books for like three months before they sent a bill that my mom was like, <laughs> okay, so what's up? <laughs> and so I would say like, I got into it and it was just like, oh, I need more. I need more romance. This is the cutest thing ever. This is the kind of thing I needed. And it would be like all types of stories. It wasn't just one type of person. So I just felt like it was an escape. So when she says that, I totally agreed. And like, Getting deeper in, my mom's best friend's daughter read Black Romance. And so she's the one that got me into Beverly Jenkins and Brenda Jackson and that type of thing. And that was when I got into the fandoms type of thing, like joining a Beverly Jenkins Yahoo group. It kind of was like a whole different world of like the rules and what people expect. And like when things are released or like the respect people expect to give. And it's very deep and people feel away if you don't understand it and you're in the space. So, oh, yeah. Right now, there's rumblings within the fandom because the Romance Writer Awards just came out. And the person who won for, I think, Best Christian Romance or Best Inspirational Romance, it's like a colonial era American story. And like in the first chapter, the white male protagonist like kills Native tribes. It's totally offensive and so wrong. And it's like, why is this? rewarded. I don't know if you've followed this on Twitter. Yeah, I'm deep into the romance part. So like the things that I love, I'm a stan. (laughs) I understand the deepness and the behind the scenes. So I've been through the whole RWA and I actually stopped paying attention because of all the drama that happened beforehand and who ran it and things like that. So I try not to give it a lot of attention. And it's because of that. It's like, we do all this. We call you into accounting. You say these things have changed, blah, blah, blah. And then the first time we come around to something else, you do something else. And it's like, so do we have to stay in outrage? And I don't like that. So it's just easier for me to follow the authors I like and deal with the things I do with and not like those organizations necessarily if I don't have to. And you know what? I'm going to do that too. I'm following your lead (laughs) because it gives me such a a headache. Oh my God. Yeah. So it sounds like much like other areas, like this is an area and I know my own experience, like it wasn't until probably college where I even saw like black women in romance novels. And so I'd love for both of you to share some of the differences you see, like when black women are the lead characters and what kinds of things really make a romance novel exciting to you. That's tough because if you're a black woman writing a black woman character, it's all you know. And there are all different types of Black women, the same way there are all different types of white women. So a Black character, to me, isn't defined by being a Black character. 
I'm not really sure how to answer that. Like you have very silly black female heroines and romance novels. You have very cerebral ones. You have sort of like the virgin deflowered. You have the slutty ones. There's so many different kinds. What is definitely true is that it's taken far too long to get here to this place where we have so much representation and and there's enough space for there to be more than just one Black female protagonist trope. I think it was with the advent of self-publishing that really did it. Like suddenly there were all these different voices and, you know, you're seeing Black in all these different genres that they hadn't been before and characters portrayed in different ways that they hadn't before. And it really opened up the genre to new experiences. The problem with book publishing is that the gatekeepers are super duper white, more so than in music, more so than in movies and film. Like you see all sorts of positive progressive changes being made, like especially in TV, like Atlanta, Insecure, like Clean Sugar, like all these Mindy Kaling's fabulous show, not black, but you get me. But I do have (laughs) to say, just like those industries, it's the stands and the fans of black romance that pushed authors up to actually be paid attention to and like why they are a thing. Like it wasn't because somebody said, oh, okay, let's choose a black author and put them out there. I would say until like the last couple of years, it was people building up and like having such a fanship of like, I release a book. And even if you don't acknowledge me, these people buy it so much. I end up on these lists and you wonder about me. And it kept doing that where it like that where people like had to pay attention in different ways. Like BET, I remember doing the arabesque movies like I remember being so excited like they know who Brenda Jackson is they know who these people are like they're actually seeing what this is it wasn't the best movies but I was like there's somebody seeing this and seeing that it should be on screen and trying to like create a connection to do something more and I do wish Mm -hmm. more could have been done with that or somebody with another vision could have been a part of that because I'm like it could have been a bigger thing than it was but back to your question Dr. Joy like for me and starting off it felt like black romance books were more family oriented than white romance books. Like black romance books would have parents in it or grandparents or like mentioned siblings and all that kind of thing. And white romance books were more like the people were the people and they had their children or like things around them. And it didn't necessarily, the bigger story didn't connect necessarily always to their family members. And like, I had to grow into that with Nora Roberts and other things like that. But like coming in, it was like, oh, they have all these brothers. And that's exactly what I think of as a Black family is like somebody with five brothers or like a youngest sister is going to act like this in the family or grandparents are going to let their grandchildren do anything. And <laughs> what can you do about it? And it just kind of yeah. felt like normalized <laughs> for me. Yeah. So it sounds like the things that you really enjoy, Barry, are like when the world is built out so that there are these supporting characters and other things going on besides just like the love story. Yes, because yeah. to me, that's a part of, romance is like the people around you like contributed to it in some type of way Mm -hmm. like they're the people you talk to or the people you'll depend on in different ways to help you so I like when they're in the story Mm -hmm. so Tia what kinds of things do you consider when you're like building out a new love story it's a romance pet peeve of mine when you're just presented with these two characters and told that they're in love or told that they should be in love. It's a very important for me to build the case for them so that by the time they finally like get there, you are so invested, like you'll just die if they don't get together. I want my readers to feel like these two were fated to be together. So I really love like really building the case for these two people being soulmates. 
that's what I love. I just want to say, like, yeah. in the middle of a book, I will shout, like, yes, that's exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. Go yeah. after her. <laughs> yeah, it has to make sense. It's almost like a legal case. Like, you have to have everything in place. And it's like putting together a puzzle. And the way I really love to do it is with dialogue in my books. I love the way people talk to each other. I love colloquialisms and like different generational language and just witty, sparkling convos that you never have in real life. Like you always think of the line in the shower, like long after the conversation has been had. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And I feel like you do an excellent job of that. Like, I feel like, especially with Seven Days in June, but also with The Perfect Fine, like, I could really picture these scenes playing out in my head. Like, oh, this is what Eva's apartment looks like inside. And like, mm-hmm. I can imagine Audrey in her room, right? You know, so I really feel like there was a lot there that allowed me to kind of come up with the pictures for myself of what these characters' worlds. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's what gets me excited. I love doing that. Yeah. So there's a, a line in Seven Days in June where you talk about your misogyny noir is showing, right? So their author panel and there's a comment around how romance is often fluff, right? And it seems like this often comes up really anything that like women in particular love, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would just love to kind of hear more of your thoughts about that. I would imagine that is, you know, you wrote it in the book, but you've already kind of alluded to this kind of being what happens in real life. So what kinds of things have you done to be able to kind of manage some of that? It's really frustrating. And and you hit the nail on the head. It's like things that women love are never taken seriously. They're just not like they're considered silly. They're not considered serious. And, and they're definitely not considered high art until like a man vouches for it. And, you know, I think it's complete bullshit, obviously you know, the idea that what I do is fluff. Nathaniel Hawthorne said, easy reading is damn hard writing. Like it is a skill and a craft to be able to seduce wide ranges of people into a love story. In the wrong hands, it could be comedy. In the wrong hands, it could be (laughs) horror. You know, like if you get it really wrong, try a sex scene sometime. It's really tough to do this genre correctly. And, you know, you see it with everything. It's just media is born of a patriarchal structure. So if something centers emotional life and loving and being considerate and soft and caring, and it's just too girly and it's too silly. And it's a shame. It is. Because, like, for me, romance books, I liked it because the women are so strong. Like they think for themselves. It's not like just simple. I'll go along with anything. They push back. They're very much like, no, it's I'm doing this and I'm going to say my thoughts. So if you would like to be around, these are the things that you're going to encounter being around here. So I think that people think it's just like, oh, I meet this man and I swoon. And it's like, that's not it at all. I like it because the women do push back and they are getting someone who is their equal in a way of that they'll have these conversations with them and not back down. And I feel like that's part of the reason I connect. Like, I love your book. See, I'm reading it right now. But I was like, it's not that the conversations that are flat, like children aren't going to be the same. Like a child is going to press their buttons and see what they can do. <laughs> like, yeah. And as a parent, like I, I'm not a parent, but I meet other people. It's like, OK, how do I go about this? There is no perfect way or perfect response. And I was like, that's what I like about romance books and books in general is just like 
that realness and not trying to necessarily create a world like where nothing would ever happen in the book, but like bringing in two different types of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what kinds of things do you think romance novels specifically bring to Black women? Like why do Black women often find solace in romance novels, specifically in Black romance novels? We deserve to see ourselves reflected in love stories and feeling great about ourselves, being loved the right way, connecting with other people, being seen is so important for Black women. I mean, for so long, we're just sort of like the mules of society, you know, just carrying everybody on our back. And it's a gift to see Black women loved and respected and valued in these books. And that's what I always try to do. I try to make it a gift for Black women, an escapist fantasy that we can get lost in. Black women I'm targeting first and whoever likes it, whoever else likes it, yay. But, you know, it's I really do want to appeal to us first because I feel like we really, really deserve it. And for years, it just wasn't there. I mean, when I was growing up in the 80s, like I was into... Joanna Lindsay and Kathleen Woodowis and Jude Devereaux and all the early Sandra Brown when she was like exclusively romance. And it was just a really, really white landscape. I mean, there was really only Beverly Jenkins and that's when I got older. And so I would read them and recast them, the characters as black people in my mind, like black people I knew, black movie stars, black singers, like Ralph Tresvant was in quite a few in my head. And that's just lame. We're not the black versions of a white character or like a white story. We should be able to exist in our own narratives. Yeah, that's why I think we get out of these stories. I feel like it filled the gap for me. Like reading Frances Ray and other people, they gave black women, like they were executives, they're nurses, they're ranters. They're not just like, oh, you're either a mom or you're something else. It's like they filled the gap in many things. Like, yes, you might be a photographer. Yes, you might be a model. Like there's just different types of things you might be in just regular jobs. And I I think that became like, oh, okay, these are women I might know. This is a woman that's a social worker or something like that. These are the people that connect for me. So I felt like when I was reading Rochelle Ayers, like Brenda Jackson, them is like, okay, these are the kind of people I know. I know Caribbean people. I know people, you know, with money that aren't in the United States, but their family are connected to other places and they speak Spanish and English and things like that. So it kind of just brought like layers um, to life that white romance books weren't bringing for me. Mm-hmm. More from my conversation with Tia and Barry after the break. Growing up watching media legends like Gwen Ifill and Robin Roberts always gave me the security that stories that matter to me would be told. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, You'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. 
Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, Join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in stores to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in store. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. 
You know, the other thing that I really love about your books in particular, Tia, is that it feels like you also have this added layer of writing for a little bit of an older woman, right? So I think most of your characters are 35 and older or, you know, like late 30s. And so I think that that is also like a segment that can sometimes be left out of romance novels, like not these young single people, but people like that have stuff going on in their lives. Can you speak to that a little? That's just me being old. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm 45. You know, I wrote my first novel, The Accidental Diva, when I was 25. And it shows, like, the things that were important to me then or mattered to me then was, you know, getting my career on track, like, really trying to figure out who I was, like, post-college as an adult. And that's what was happening in that novel a woman at the beginning of her career, a guy at the beginning of his career, like they're trying to figure it out. Like you still have a roommate maybe. But then like, as I got older, my life and my perspectives changed. And The Perfect Find, I wrote about a 40 year old woman when I was 40, the bottom falls out of her life and she has to reinvent herself in a new job, in a new world. And I was excited experiencing that and it was nutty and I thought it was ripe for uh, fiction treatment and so that's where that came from and then seven days in June I think Eva and Shane are 33 and they're only 33 which is super young for me obviously they're 33 because I wanted their teenage flashbacks to be in the early aughts I just think it's such a it was such a weird time culturally and it's really rich to write about and so yeah so that's why but I wouldn't be adverse to writing a younger character it's just that my books usually reflect where where I am and I have a 12 year old daughter Eva has a 12 year old daughter yeah like being a single mom is something that so my daughter's father and I were divorced when she was 11 months old so we co-parent I see his apartment through my window like (laughs) it's fine like she walks back and forth it's fine but when she was with me uh, half the week it's just the two of us and we sort of as any single mother of a daughter a single daughter knows like you just become this sort of symbiotic organism like living in your own bubble and it's such a special and unique relationship with like your own language and rituals and inside jokes and things that you do together that I just was like, yeah, I've got to, I've got to write about this. And it's something I couldn't have written about as a 25 year old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something else you included in this book that I'd love to hear more about is like living with a chronic illness. Cause I think that's something else that you don't necessarily hear like in a romance genre. Right. And so I'd just love to hear why it was important for you to include that. And maybe if you want to share anything around like how that does come up in relationships, like talking about illness. Yeah, it sucks. I, Eva Mercy, the protagonist of Seven Days in June, has chronic migraines since she was a child, and so do I, since I was nine. And my diagnosis is intractable, which means incurable, which means things work for like three to six months, and then they stop working, and then it's back to square one. And I have a migraine every day. I wake up in pain every day. And it affects everything. I mean, any chronic pain sufferer, whether it's fibromyalgia, whether it's arthritis, any sort of like nagging, relentless pain that can't really be treated, it rules your life. 
it's bigger than any emotion. It's bigger than any feeling. It's bigger than any relationship you have. It's like you're the pain with a person attached. And you don't see that representation in this genre. I'm not a fan of stick fic, even though people are. I actually, I really liked The Fault in Their Stars. <laughs> but I never really wanted to write stick fic. And other than that, I couldn't figure out how to weave pain into like what should be a sexy, sparkly, dazzling, escapist love story. And honestly, it wasn't until I got to being in my 40s and my perspective sort of changed. It stopped being something that I hid from people so that they wouldn't think I was complaining or I had Munchausen or <laughs> making it up. Because, you know, when you have an invisible disease, if you're not bleeding or limping or in a wheelchair, it's really hard for people to understand that you struggle so badly. So I always tried to hide it or make up lies about why I couldn't go to things or go to the second party. Like if I go out, I can only go to one thing. I can't like go to a second place, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's all I can bear is just the one first place. But anyway, I got to my 40s and I was like, why am I hiding this? I know there's a whole community out there who suffers in the same way. And we just never see ourselves deserving of like big love and great sex and a story. Like, and I start, I was writing it at a time when my head was really bad and it was really hard to be a single mother. And I felt like I was doing everything from the couch. I was like doing homework on the couch, ordering dinner from the couch, detangling her hair from the couch, like everything from the couch. And I was like, this fucking sucks. So I sort of made up Eva and gave her a happy ending and like this epic love story as like a treat to myself. And the crazy thing is, halfway through writing this book, I swiped right on my husband. <laughs> oh, so it was wow. almost like I manifested <laughs> it. And I only swiped right on him because he was so good looking. I was like, He's too hot for this ever to go anywhere real. Like, he's definitely going to be a fuckboy. Like, we all know how this is going to end. And I married him in December. So wow. a very responsible pandemic wedding in a hotel room <laughs> with just <laughs> us two and my daughter and an efficient, very masked up and, you know, Zoom. But yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So, Barry, is this something that you've seen in other um, books that you've enjoyed? You know, like you talked about, like really enjoying like the relationships and their families and stuff like that. Are there other pieces like disability or other things that have come up for you in some of the books you've enjoyed? I would say not necessarily like the thing that makes me think of this and it's not a disability, but just like as a difference is Indigo by Beverly Jenkins, where the yeah. main character her hands are dyed indigo because she was a slave. And so when she was picking it, dyed her hands. So she would wear gloves and things like that, just to kind of, so people wouldn't talk about it or mention it, that kind of thing. Things happen during, or like there's a book where like somebody's dealing with something. There's only one book I read during the pandemic and the person uses a wheelchair. And that was like, I don't even remember, but I just remember reading it. And I was like, this is different. But I was like, okay, I can go with this. Like, this is something that's normal. <laughs> I see this. So it kind of just felt like an expansive of stories. But I felt like during like the height of COVID last year and things like that, I was just reading any and every romance book that I could find. If I liked it, I'd just read a chapter or two. And then I'd be like, all right. Um, I was just searching on Twitter for different names and things like that. So I found a lot of different things I didn't normally read. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Tia, some of the other things that you dealt with in Seven Days in June are topics like self-harm and alcoholism. And I'm just curious to to hear, you know, like you also included that, right? Which I think is can also be a difficult balance when you're talking about something that has to have a happy ending. And so what were you hoping maybe that readers could get if they were going through a similar kind of struggle? Well, you know, it's funny. I wasn't really thinking about the reader when I wrote these characters. I was really thinking about the characters, like what was true to them. I wasn't writing it as a lesson or any sort of morality play or this is what happens if you do this. And I I wasn't even writing it as like inspiration. Shane is in recovery but who knows what's going to happen to him down the road. And everyone's journey is different. This is just, he ha- it happened to work for him this time, but it never had before. And we don't really know if it'll stick. I just wanted to show like a slice of life. And I guess if a reader got from the characters, you know, a sense of strength and stick with itness, <laughs> which is not a word, but both Eva and Shane, have their own, you know, they come from very troubled childhoods and they had their own coping mechanisms and they each coped in different ways and they were not healthy ways and they had different ways of overcoming them. Like for Shane, it was going to AA and that worked for him. For Eva, it was just cold turkey walking away, going to a different city and changing her name. We all have different ways of dealing with uncomfortable past, but I do think that it's important. And what Eva realizes is that until you reckon with your past, until you forgive who you used to be, somehow learn how to get comfortable with who she was, there's really no way to move forward in your life with any authenticity. By the end of the novel, she's claimed that girl and her weird ancestors that she was ashamed of. And you get the feeling that she's going to move forward and be like a stronger writer, a stronger mother. This phrase is overused, but she's like standing in her truth. That's the part I was going to say I like about romance books is that they're accepting of themselves at the end. Like part of them getting together is part of them saying like, I need to be okay with these things about me and like how I feel about these things, no matter what that person is saying, even if that person loves me, I still have to get past these things to be able to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I really do like that, that it's like, no, I need to deal with things within myself so that I can still be with this other person. And it's not bothering me, these things that I haven't dealt with. So I do with that part. Right. It's important for female characters, no matter the genre, like, I mean, all characters, but women are more complicated than men. (laughs) (laughs) Shh. (laughs) don't tell anyone but I think that it's really important that I want to see this when I'm reading I want to see a character arc I want to see her ending up far from where she started I don't want to see you know I want to see growth it's inspirational yeah and so you know something I'd love to hear from you Barry is if you've seen this theme because this was prominent in seven days in June like this childhood romance and then like reconnecting later in life is that something that you see as a theme in a lot of the things that you read I do see things like that. Childhood or even like college to adult story. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we came back around five or 10 years and now we're in the same city and we're talking about the same things. Like, okay, or I knew you like as a teenager and we kind of were in the same circles, but I didn't pay attention to you. But now that we're adults and kind of look fine. I want to talk to you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Type of thing. So I like that circle back type of story, that kind of thing of like, 
maybe the person was around, but you just weren't ready or having those conversations. So now that you're adults, it can come back around and you all can revisit what might be type of thing. So mm-hmm. the trope is officially called second chance romance. Oh. So if that's something that listeners are into, like you can literally hashtag search in Twitter or any social media platform, second chance romance, and you'll just get a list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The perfect fine had a, a bit of that as well to you. So is that something that you really enjoy? Like writing about the second chance romance? Well, I think the perfect find is enemies to lovers. There's very specific romance tropes. And sometimes they overlap, but the perfect find, because they did not like each other. And then they really didn't like each other. And then they fell madly in love with each other. A second chance romance has to be like a significant amount of time between when you were together and then when you get back together. Okay. More from my conversation with Tia and Barry after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, Join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP 
for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Many people feel anxious when they think about finances. It can feel overwhelming, stressful, and even hopeless, especially when you're first starting out and don't know what to do. But when you have a solid financial plan in place, this anxiety turns into confidence. You can regain a sense of control over your life and improve your self-esteem. How do you build financial confidence? Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Can you say more about some of these other tropes? I am not deep enough into the genre to know that there are all these terms. So what are some of the other ones, like the other kind of themes? Okay, so there's second chance romance, enemies to lovers, friends to lovers, fake relationship, which is one that I love. (laughs) What is fake relationship? (laughs) Barry is not. Barry, do you want to take it? (laughs) I need you to be my fiance. I have a family event coming up and I just really need somebody with me because I don't want to have a conversation. But it is somebody I'm asking a person that I kind of like so that when we're there and we have to share a room, things become, you know, a little bit more complicated. And then by the end of the time, we're together. Oh, okay. Date to a wedding. Like, we're going to pretend we're together for this wedding, you know, because I don't want to have to explain anything to my grandma, why I'm still single, like that whole thing. Okay. Any others? I'm trying to think of others. I like the one night stand, oh, hey, I had a baby or I'm pregnant Mm. type of thing, like coming back around. Um, To me, that's always surprising, like what they'll have the person like say or how they'll react type of thing. Pregnancy is good. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, there's a baby. Ah!" Like, yeah, that's a fun one. I knew a secret that I didn't tell you. And then when it comes out, it's like, you could have told me the entire time. I like. You work for me. That's really good. Like you're on my payroll. Like we can't do this in the office, obviously. And then they're caught after hours in a conference room. I like one famous person, one regular person. Regular. You know what I mean? Not regular. Yeah, not, not celebrity. <laughs> not famous. Yeah. Right. I'm I'm a fan. Like right now, I've been deep into sports ones. So like 
where it's a hockey team. I've never team. read a sports romance. Like I'm like the hockey team. So it's all like men players type of thing or that kind of thing. So I'm into like, and this the hockey team that's like, so it goes player to player to player. And you kind of hear about an organization type of thing. I know Kara Sean has like a, one like that. <gasps> I've done Serena yes. Bowen. That's one person. Like I, I found her during the pandemic and I love her. All the things. So I'm like, I love a sports romance of like, oh, okay, because the timing during normal romance, you can be together at any time. So with sports romance, this person is going to games a lot and you're doing things over yes. a month time and two months time. And like, you know, like the spacing is just different and what they expect from the other person of like not always being able to do person to person. So there's texts or emails or like right. different, different like things. So I'm into sports, Which is a so, lot so, of yeah. the ce- ones a celebrity and one isn't trope as well. It's like, yeah. okay, I'm on tour or you're coming with me. Like everything is heightened. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have to try this, the sports one. Hmm. Yes. J.C. Burton is a good one, too, so to try those. Okay. So, Tia, do you see this area you talked earlier about, like, kind of how self-publishing really just opened up the doors? But do you see this genre as one where more Black women are getting contracts, like, from some of the major publishing houses? I mean, yeah, but we're not paid the same. Mm. I don't want to complain because Mm -hmm. it's absolutely true. Right now, there's, like, a renaissance. Mm. We're definitely getting deals. not getting the same deals Mm. but at least we're in the door and Mm. our books are on shelves and that representation is just so important Mm -hmm. yeah and you know we talked earlier too in a previous conversation I had with Dr. Raquel Gates who does a lot around black women in reality tv she talked about how sometimes it's difficult for like reality shows that have a black cast to do well with white audiences. But your book was chosen as a Reese's Pick book club, right? And so I'm wondering if that same kind of thing happens with romance novels. Like, have you seen any of that, like difficulties with white readers kind of taking to your characters? Uh, I don't think we have enough time for this question. (laughs) (laughs) I have to be honest with you. Like, this is a whole podcast theme in and of itself. Oh, It's funny because I actually haven't because I mentioned before that I write mostly I'm inspired from my life when I write my books. And so I spent 15 years as a beauty editor at a fashion magazine. So my characters were in fashion or beauty. And for a time, I was the only black beauty editor at a mainstream magazine, not counting the Essence Women and Ebony. I mean, like at Elle and Vogue and Though I also worked at Essence too, and working with just an entire floor of Black women was like, I didn't go to an HBCU, so I feel like that's my HBCU experience. Yes. (laughs) That was going to Spelman for me. Um, (laughs) But no, prior to that, like it was, it was just me. And so I'm writing from this place with people that are like the only Black in the professions that they're in. And so that's like a comfy point of entry for a white reader. This was Mm -hmm. not done intentionally on my part. This is just Mm -hmm. the life I have, you know? Mm -hmm. And even now as a executive editorial director at Estee Lauder Companies, like I'm definitely the only Black editorial director. And so it feels safer to enter into a book where I always have white characters my characters are doing are in professions that are traditionally white. And so I think it just is, yeah, like I said, an easier point of entry. I mean, I actually had black readers when I wrote the accidental diva write me 
saying, I didn't know that, that Black women could do that. Like Barry was saying earlier, these stories that are centered around us, they can open the audience's minds to things you never had even thought about. If you're Black and you don't know anyone who has gone to New York and started a career as an art gallerist, you've always liked art, like, huh, okay, well, then I guess we do that. Sometimes you don't know you can do something until you see it. Mm-hmm. So. I can say just to speak on a little bit of what you said, Dr. Joy, just like white audiences and black books. Like I'm a big person, just like with podcasts where I want to meet podcasters. And I've met my favorite authors. So I've met Elin, I've met Francis Ray, Brenda Jackson, those kind of people. I would say it kind of felt like when the person had a big enough fanship that like they were talked about other places. People like no matter what the subject was, because I'm like Elin Harris, <laughs> and I'm like I would go to. He was coming to Denver, and he would sell out a room, and it wasn't a lot of black people. So right. I'm like, it felt like people that were talked about and like understood, like creating a conversation and chatter, and like that had a bigger thing than people that like just kind of wrote good books and kind of put it out. Because I'm like, there's a lot of books I remember from the '90s where I was like, it was like they did one or two books and like you know they were gone it was like a good thing but it felt like we didn't have the chatter on our side because we don't have the media this type of thing but like to keep that thing going you're not going to walk in a Safeway in Denver and find you know a black romance book the same way you can just find a random white romance book or like different books type of thing so to me I've been glad to see people take off in romance or like you know get talked about on a bigger level because that brings other conversations in because I'm like, all right, if that book is going viral, that means other people are looking for more books and that brings more conversation and like hopefully more people into the conversation. But I'm like, I remember being in high school and having favorite books and I'm like, I can't find those on Amazon now. Like if we, if they're probably maybe in my friend's like garage or something, if we went and through look, but I'm like, there's so many authors that like we loved. I remember there was a book called True Blue and like, I can't remember who the author was. I just remember it was in the 90s and me and my cousin loved this book. And I'm like, I can't find it anywhere. And it was just a black romance book. And I'm like, we don't have that where I can look back up pretty easily and find some book that I thought of that I loved and it was obscure. So it's like, we just don't have what the other people have in ways. And so I'm glad that people are getting more attention and more people like, this was picked for a recent book. I was like, that's something big. We're out here. Look at the Black authors. We're romance. Like, we do love on all types of levels. So like, I'm glad the conversations on Twitter aren't just the conversations on Twitter and other people are seeing it and like putting it in a bigger way. Because like, our our WA mess like made a whole big conversations on like, who gets things and who gets what and who is actually acknowledged and who's actually building the space and like coming. And I'm like, when RWA came to Denver, Colorado, I was like, I'm gonna go down there and meet Beverly Jenkins and I'm gonna go meet the authors that I I like and I've liked that. But I'm like, if it's at the expense of them feeling like they're not great or like those people are making them feel, you know, worse as an author when I think they're the best thing, you can come by yourself and I'll figure out how to get there or tell me you're gonna go somewhere and I'll figure it out because it's like, I understand I want people to expand, but I also understand some of those spaces aren't for them and are hurtful to them. So it might not be the space for them. So it's just kind of like, a I wish more, but I understand. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Final question for both of you. I would love to hear your thoughts about like where you are excited for the genre to go next. Like what is left? Where are the movies? We well, need more. Well, you have a couple coming out, right? So the yes, perfect find just wrapped, and I think Seven Days in June has been optioned, right? It has, yeah. yeah. For a TV series, I want more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want. I don't mean I want you more. personally. I mean, I want 
Yeah. I want to see all of Jasmine's books as movies. During the process of Seven Days in June being optioned, like one of the questions that always came up was, what's your favorite big screen or TV black love story? And invariably, it, it was Love Jones. And that was in 1998. Wow. And that's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's too far away. I want to see it on the big screen or, you know, my TV. Mm -hmm. So that's really, I really hope that more books get optioned. And I hope that film production companies are looking beyond the really big books and considering some of these smaller ones that have like really passionate followings, but aren't on a bestsellers list. Or even fan fiction. There is some amazing fan fiction out there written by Black women. So, yeah, that's what I would really love to see. As a movie buff, yeah, I need Mm -hmm. that. Okay. What about you, Barry? I can see that more stories are being told. Like Brenda Jackson has a This Is Love podcast episode explaining how she did it. There's a Black Romance podcast. I think it's called Black Romance Podcast. A media space. There's always been this big thing as me, a social media person that a lot of Black authors didn't understand how to promote themselves. They didn't know, like, what podcast to go to. They didn't know, like, the space they can go to. There's, like, we'll see them and, like, we connect, that type of thing. So I feel like I'm seeing that space being built, like, as a connection of, like, we don't have to go through a Today Show to try to find somebody else. It's like, I can listen to the Black Romance podcast. Or there's a Twitter page, I think it's Woman of Color Romance. Like, it might be listed mm-hmm. on there when they put out their list or they're doing their Patreon and things like that. So. I'm finding the in-between space of like, how do I find you all talking about your things and doing that without having to follow you everywhere because I'm not going to do that. Those spaces are being built and I'm hoping that more people pay attention to those spaces and give love to those spaces so that those kind of places can be built. So we don't have to necessarily look at those other places if we don't want to. We can be like, oh, I listened to this and this is how I found this. This is, Mm -hmm. I go to Woman of Color Romance and I know that new books are there. I'm a big person. I'm always on romanceandcolor.com. I don't know if anybody else goes to that anymore, but they list the books that come out throughout the year that are Black romance. Nice. <laughs> and that's like something I've probably done forever. And I'm like, romanceandcolor.com. I probably go there five or 10 times a week. Like, okay, what's coming up? What, you know, what's been out? What I'm looking for new books. I'm like, there's things like that. And just looking into those spaces and feeding into those spaces to know that we are looking at those to find stuff. I remember that site. I didn't know that it was still, still going. Wow. I have to check it out. Yes. So Tia, where can people find you? Hopefully on Romance of Color. (laughs) (laughs) On Instagram, I'm Tia Williams Writes. On Twitter, I'm Tia W underscore Writes. And on Facebook, I'm Tia Williams. And And books can be found everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Barry? Um, Well, I'm Podcast in Color. So podcast with an S in color, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Perfect. Well, thank you both so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I romance books at any time. <laughs> yes, same. <laughs> I'm so glad that Tia and Barry were able to join us today. To grab your copy of Seven Days in June and sign up for the book club, or to check out the podcast and color directory, be sure to visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 219. And don't forget to text two of your girls and tell them to check out the episode as well. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. 
And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the Sister Circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for Black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey, ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.